Hey guys, what's up? It is week 163, and first uh, I have a little bit of a, it's kind of a correction. I don't know why uh, I actually watched the um, Shriek Show edition of Ichi the Killer. I have the new Welgo one. I completely forgot it even existed, so I watched the old remaster. I really wish I would have watched the new one, because I guess it's leagues better. So, um, yeah, I'm an idiot, so... If you're wondering why I reviewed the Shriek Show, or you're like, is the Shriek Show better? No, I, I just forgot that I had the Well Go, or it even was released. But uh, yeah, I do have it, and I probably, when I rewatch it, it'll eventually be the Well Go. But um, yeah, let's hop into these reviews, and the first one is from Severn Films, and this is one that I'm glad that they released. It is The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. This is actually, um, I think, Sergio Martino's first Giallo, and he did six Giallos in the 70s. Um, there's also, or I, I believe your Vice is a locker room and only I have the key as a giallo or considered a giallo it's a pretty good movie I always like that one but he also did all the colors uh, of the dark um uh the suspect was the uh, above suspicion or the one of the minor which is a really long name uh and then there's the case of the scorpion's tail and so like this guy is pretty much one of the um kind of quintessential jelly directors and i know that arrow put a few of his movies out and uh severin put a couple of them out recently all the colors of the dark so um i actually had never seen this is like the only jello of his i hadn't watched which is crazy because it's his most one of his most famous it's got a very familiar cast in here of course we got edwidge fennec can't have a jello without edwidge fennec right so she's the star in this uh movie it also has george hilton who's in you know what what he's in a, a slew of spaghetti westerns and some other uh, sergio martino giallos it's got ivan rasimov in here who's also kind of a, a lenzi and martino uh kind of staple and then we also have what's the guy's name mendoza or whatever his name is he's a spanish actor you guys will recognize him as the uh, rasputin like character in horror express and i i'm pretty sure he's in the people who own the dark too which is a really cool movie also with paul nash so I uh, had a great cast uh, this one right away right when I put it in I was like this is one of the coolest giallos I've seen in a very long time because you know a lot of times you watch a lot of giallos and they're always good and entertaining to me but they don't stand out this one is definitely going to go down in history as one of the most memorable and, and one of the better giallos I've ever seen and I've heard about it for years and it's always had a nice you know uh, you know reputation and everything so uh, the first thing that came to mind is all these Italian movies have wonderful scores and this one it doesn't have the most uh, you know um, deep score it doesn't have like a, a huge elaborate score like uh, you know a bunch of different tracks and everything like this but it has this one track and, and it almost is like Fenix uh, theme music or like a motif and, and it's like directly correlated or tied in with her emotional vice I guess I'll say and all her like past uh, traumas and everything and every time it plays it just it, it puts you in her mindset and I feel like you get sucked into it but basically the plot of this movie here is edwidge fenix character mrs ward she's married to like a diplomat who travels a lot and and it's kind of an unhappy uh, marriage she at one point had an affair with ivan rasimov who was very abusive and they had this and she has a strange vice which is she's repulsed and attracted to it involves blood so there's that history as well and then re, uh, more recently um george hilton kind of came into the picture and he's kind of like this playboy who um it, it just 
inherited a bunch of money and as his cousins with um, Edward Fennec's best friend. So there starts kind of having an affair with Fennec. So that's that's the plot. Meanwhile, there's a sex crazed killer going around uh, killing prostitutes and women of the night and everything like that. And uh, Edward Fennec starts to be stalked and tormented by who she thinks is possibly John, who is Ivan Rasimov. But is he the sex killer or is there a sex is the sex killer stalking her? So it becomes this kind of like gaslighting crazy thing at certain points where um, throughout you know that there's definitely something going on but there's twists and turns and you're definitely trying to figure out who is responsible for the killings and who is after Edwidge Fennec. Uh, like I said the score is tremendous and there's these great moments where she'll just be going about her day and something will trigger a memory and she'll have a flashback with Ivan Rasimo beating her and these really kind of surreal moments which they do in All the Colors of the Dark. And this one has a lot of similarities to that, but it also has similarities to Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key with a lot of the kind of weird um, sexual stuff like BDSM in that movie and stuff. I feel like there's some sexual fetishism in this one as well. Uh, I love George Hilton in this movie. You know, he's one of those guys that he's an Uruguayan actor. I can't say he's from Uruguay, okay? And he's one of these guys that just pops up in so many of these movies. And like, I always recognized him and noticed him, but this time I was like, you know what? He's actually really solid and I, he has a good look to him. So this is the kind of the first time I really appreciated him in a movie, although I always enjoyed him. Ivan Rasimo just looks like a crazy person, and to me, he's always a crazy person. Um, you know, he's an eaten alive, and he plays a John, Jim Jones kind of character, so he's always really good at being scary. I think he's in All Colors of the Dark, too, being like the cult leader. I'm pretty sure he's the cult leader in that one. So, um, this, this one really, um, uh, entertained the hell out of me. Uh, the, the deaths are pretty solid, but that's not really what attracts me to it. It attracts me as the psychology of Edwidge Fennec and, and her going through and, and actually, um, uh, Kat Ellinger does a commentary, which I loved. And she talks about a critic who gave it a poor review and she reads the review and the critic is like, it's so obvious who, what's going on. And I'm like, I must be an idiot because like I couldn't pin to pin what was happening. But after you watch so many of these giallos, you never go with the sure thing or you never really, you know, you might predict one thing, but there's like five or six other things that are going to happen in it. So I'm like, I'm just going to not try to predict these anymore because I'm, it, it always gets crazy and it's more fun to just let it play out. And, um, I, I literally thought this one played out pretty well. Um, this one's loaded with a lot of features. Like I said, the Cat Ellinger commentary, which I really enjoyed. She's a big proponent of Sergio Martino. She even wrote a book about him. She goes into a lot of detail about that stuff and brings up, you know, the first final girl and, you know, giallos and everything like that. And, and, and it's a lot of stuff we've heard before, you know, and she even mentions that, like, I have to go through the giallo again and explain what it is from with the Edgar Wallace titles and everything like that. Um, the, the paperbacks, the yellow paperbacks, but still it is interesting. And, uh, like I said, she's one of my favorite people to do commentaries uh, i've always enjoyed her commentaries um and uh just i, I really I, I think she does one of the better jobs in the business and opens up my eyes to a lot of things and, and like i said this one it, it's like the jello story's good and the twists are good but um the psychology in this one is just really really entertaining um also uh there's a, some really good shots of course all these movies they do it in one shot so they only have to light for one scene but they always use that it's always so innovative like of course you know just just simple stuff that i like that that doesn't cost extra but it's just entertaining like you'll see like them an edwidge fennec and like a mirror open and you'll 
see the other character, like her friend, and it's it just like the camera will move and go around. It's just good stuff like that. I've always enjoyed that kind of stuff. But uh, the the Blu-rays pack with stuff as an interview with Sergio Martino, an interview with Ernesto Gadaldi, who's the screenwriter who's wrote for about, he's, I don't know, he's probably written like a hundred of these giallos. And then um, it also has an interview with George Hilton, who I believe has just recently passed away. Introduction with George Hilton, an archival interview with Edwidge Fennick, and of course the commentary. So it looks great. It sounds great. Also comes with a soundtrack. And like I said, this is one of those songs that just was embedded in my head right after I watched it. And uh, yeah, it's just, just a good one. Um, great ending too. Just flew by. It's one of the most enjoyable giallos I've seen in a very long time. And, and one of the best probably. If somebody were to ask me like, what are your top five giallos? I would definitely give this a shout out. Um, I, I'm sh- ashamed I haven't seen that. I don't know why. I have literally seen all five of his other 70s giallos and this is the last one I hadn't seen. It is kind of weird. But um, there is an old DVD from Mia Communication that was under the title Blade of the Ripper. I think there was an old Shameless DVD, if I'm not mistaken. And there was a Shameless, um, No Shame, No Shame DVD, and then a Shameless Blu-ray that was an import. So, yeah, I imagine that Severance is the, the cream of the crop, though. So, yep. <laughs> You mentioned blood earlier. Certainly it's true that blood has a strange effect on it. It excites and repels her at the same time. While that's very, very titillating, it's also very transgressive when you think about the time and the place these films were made. Oh, George. Scendiamo da una ininterrotta catena di assassini, il cui amore per uccidere era nel loro sangue come forse è nel nostro. è stata uccisa mezz'ora fa, vicino all'aeroporto. Un'altra donna uccisa? Sì, è sempre arrasoiata. Ho paura. C'era qualcuno nel garage, ha cercato di uccidermi con un rasoio. Tu mi rosinghi, Giulie. Davvero pensi che io sia capace di tagliare la gola a tante donne? Certo è che il sangue ha uno strano effetto su di lei, come di attrazione e ribrezzo insieme. L'odio è un bel sentimento, violento, rovente, come e più dell'amore. Le 
Le farò provare ebbrezza, paura e grandi tuffi al cuore. Volevi andarci a letto e la paura di Jean ti ha fornito la scusa. Ho avuto modo di vedere che lei è un'amante deliziosa, con deviazioni molto interessanti e insospettate anche dal suo onesto marito. Niente unisce di più di un vizio in comune. Pensa che sia lui l'omicida che stiamo cercando. Perché non prova a controllare l'alibi della signora Ward? Forse è da me stessa che devo fuggire. Okay, the next one here is a Patreon pick from Chris Rivers, and this is a Netflix movie. This is Horse Girl. And this one interested me for sure. Uh, this is a weird one. Uh, and it's kind of comparable to a movie from the 2002 Teapots, um, the podcast I noticed summer series I'll be reviewing later on in this episode. But uh, Horse Girl. <coughs> oh, okay, here we go. I watched this one a little bit ago, so <coughs> bear with me. This one, um, it follows this girl who's like kind of obviously, she's a, she's a bit different, maybe reclusive, um, doesn't really, I, I don't know how to put it, she's definitely an odd character, might have some, you know, it just seems really reclusive and shy and everything. She works in a fabric shop, and she's obsessed with um, horses and this horse that she used to ride and everything like that. Um one day, uh, she she's like, uh, her friend hooks her up with somebody, and I can't remember the trigger, but basically what happens is something triggers her, and uh, after that, she starts to lose moments in her sleep, and uh, losing time, and everything gets really kind of disoriented for her, and she starts to kind of get this weird uh, uh, idea, like, it all, it literally feels like a schizophrenic, because her, her, you find out she had, like, some past, like, family problems and everything like that, her mother, her grandmother, and you, you definitely point to schizophrenia, that there's definitely something going on with her mental state and schizophrenia and everything like that. She starts to develop these theories that she's actually her grandmother, and she's traveled through time, and, and, and meanwhile, she's, like, dating somebody, and um, it's just, like, but what I really liked about this movie is this character, like throughout the beginning, I've, I've like really bonded with her. I felt bad for her. She seems sweet and nice and innocent. And as it goes on further and further, as she like kind of descends into her madness, if you will, it, it, you just really genuinely feel sorry and concerned for her. Um, I think the performance by her is tremendous. I thought she was great in this. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I think that her acting and uh, the way it develops is just really interesting. And also there's this really sad moment moments in the movie like really depressing like uh like she's obsessed with a certain horse but it shows you what happened with the horse and other people that were affected by it and i was just like oh man this is really just uh kind of hard-hitting and depressing 
And uh, when movies kind of dive into like mental illness and things like that, um, it also interests me greatly. But it starts to do some weird things where you think there's something else going on possible, and it leaves some doors open where I really ought to watch it a second time and, and kind of guess maybe it really isn't as it seems. There is maybe some supernatural elements or science fiction elements in here as well. But uh, I, I could recommend this one fairly strong. Um, and it's a brave performance too. There, It, it kind of shows full frontal nudity in here. And I did not expect something like that in this movie. This movie to me, it felt kind of like almost, you know, I don't want to say tame, but it, it felt, you know, a little bit more straightforward and maybe safe. But after after a bit, it, it definitely, I realized it's not necessarily safe at all. And it was doing some things that I didn't expect it to do. But those kind of whole movies where somebody is just kind of losing their shit um, and, and you really don't know what to think and it leaves it kind of open-ended or open for interpretation kind of interest me. But great lead performance. Um, Paul Reiser pops up in here and he uh, he had a really nice small role but seemed like a genuinely nice guy. Um, and there's just some crazy moments, like I said, where they make you second guess what you're thinking originally, which uh, made it very entertaining. Horse Girl, um, would recommend. Pretty good. It's on Netflix. You can watch it in like 4K. So, yeah. Happy birthday. So what are you going to do tonight to celebrate? Mm, I think probably I'll just go out with some friends from my Zumba class. You deserve to have fun. How have you been? I've been good. I've been going by to see mom and going to see my horse. Hey, Sarah. Hey. Brian's new roommate is single. Hi. Uh, I'm Darren. I really like your dress. I like your shirt. There's something so exciting about you. You're a lot of fun. You deserve to have fun. You're a... Oh. Are you okay? I don't know. And what is it that you're experiencing? I've been having a little trouble sleeping. Finding myself places and I don't know how I got there. You have nothing to be afraid of. Do you believe in alien abductions? People always said that my grandma was so crazy. Now I think that she wasn't crazy at all because I'm feeling it. Sarah, do you know what happened to the wall? Those scratches? How old was Grandma when she started acting like... Why? Are, are you... Yeah. Sarah. Sarah, put the phone down. Sarah, put the phone down. I can hear the future. Sarah? I'm just really scared. You're safe, I promise you. I know that it sounds crazy, okay? I know it sounds really crazy, but it just feels really real. Okay, the next Patreon pick is from Nick Mua, and he picked Jack Ketchum's The Lost. This one came out in 2006, and it stars Mark Center, and uh, there's small roles by Aaron Brown, and Ruby LaRocca, I believe, is in here. But uh, Michael Bowen and Ed Larder also star in here. Uh, this is based off the Jack Ketchum novel, which I have read years ago, and I remember really liking this novel. This and cover, I think, an off-season were my favorites of his. I, I thought those ones were really strong. Um, R.I.P. Jack Ketchum. He passed away, I think, a few years ago now. But, um, yeah, 
first and foremost, I want to say this Blu-ray is bare bones. The old DVD is not. The DVD has deleted scenes and a commentary and everything like that. So if you if you want interested in seeing more on it, get the DVD and maybe the Blu-ray, get them both or whatever. But uh, yeah, The Lost. Um, this is based off a true serial killer or serial murderer or however you want to put it, who murdered, I think, three or four people um, years back. And his name was Charlie Smith or Charles Smitty. Uh, yeah, Smith. And uh, yeah, they called him the Pied Piper of Tucson. And that's why this movie opens up with uh, I'm the Pied Piper and Mark Center walking. And it's a beautiful tracking shot. And they bring that back at the very end, too, in a really amazing way. But uh, I... I this is a great movie for me. I think that the heart and soul of this one is a lot of the performances in here. I adore Mark Center's performance. He is such an ego uh, maniac, narcissist, piece of shit, but he's great. Um, and, and like it, it opens up and it just posts this thing that says this is a story about Ray Pie. They called him Ray Pie because uh, he, he was a serial killer in real life, Ray, the Pied Piper, so Ray Pie. It works really well. But... Um, they say, uh, here's a story about Ray Pye who used to shove beer cans in his uh, boots to make himself taller, you know, because he's such a narcissist. But anyways, he's this kind of older, in his 20s loser that hangs around with a lot of high school students and takes advantage of them. And years back, he's hanging out with two of his friends that are much younger than him, and he decides to kill these two women that he spots in the woods, um, who he calls a lesbians. So he, he kills them, and then after that, it's kind of covered up. But there's these two cops that were always on the case, Ed Larder and Michael Bowen, who are still kind of, uh, Michael Bo uh, Ed Larder's retired, but Bowen's still definitely trying to figure out the case and everything like that. And they really think Ray Pye was responsible for it. But essentially what happens is uh, Ray Pye is, is, you know, living uh, as a hotel, kind of working in a hotel for his mom and everything and just selling drugs and doing petty crime and sleeping with as many women as he can and he gets infatuated with this rich girl and everything like that and he spills his guts about the everything and and pretty soon Ray Pye's um, world comes crumbling down and he kind of loses his um, sand, a grip uh, and the little grip that he has so that's pretty much uh, the lost um, there's some really interesting stuff in here too like I said Ed Larder is like playing a 60 year old man and he's dating this young girl who is uh, knows Ray Pye and uh, um like I said, they're all kind of intertwined. And her father's actually played by Richard Riley, which is a great performance in here, too. But um, there, there's some really good dialogue. Um, um, especially by like Michael Bowen later on uh, and stuff when he's like uh, he's like putting the pressure on Ray Pye it's just tremendous um, like and I wish Mark Center would have been a big star because he, he started off with so much promise with this um, Red White and Blue Cabin Fever 2 um, he's in that Wicked uh, Lake movie even though it's a tiny role but and he's in um, Starry Eyes so everything he was in for a certain for a while I was like man this guy is always so good and always so intriguing and then like I, I'm pretty sure he's still working but I just kind of I lost sight of him and I haven't really seen him pop up like he should have been. But uh, this performance is just one kind of a one of a kind thing where he's like kind of an Elvis guy and everything like that. And you could tell that Jack Ketchum definitely put some of his own like influences in life in the novel and the real case and everything like that. So because he said he was a big Elvis fan growing up uh, and everything like that. But no, this movie is brutal. Um, the, the, the true story, obviously, not as many people got killed here, but the way they shoot violence in this, I, I just really enjoy it. I, I think that it's, um, I shouldn't say enjoy it, it's really effective, which makes me disturbed, which makes me give qual uh, credit to the movie, and then somehow in a weird, gross way, I enjoy it. I don't, <laughs> you guys know how that is. But um, the opening, like, um, it's just this calm moment with these two people talking, and all of a sudden, you hear the, the bullets hit, and it's just boom, you, you hear the sounds, and the way it's edited, 
it and the sound design it's just it's just uh it gets your adrenaline going it, it scares the shit out of you and uh like the end violence too it's just very matter of fact when people get shot uh, i mean like loud and just and, and abrasive and just scary and uh it works um, they changed the ending of the novel because if you guys have ever read this novel, the ending is pretty freaking uh, grotesque. Not grotesque, but in, in detail about some prison experiments, uh, experiences and everything like that. And never forgot the end of the novel, to be honest. But uh, it's a great novel and it's actually a really good adaptation. And this is produced by Lucky McKee and it was directed by his like, um, you know, his his like childhood, like childhood, like high school friend that made movies together. They did the original All Cheerleaders Must Die together and all sorts of things like that so you know uh yeah and, and jack ketchum on the commentary tells a story about how he met lucky mckee how he gave him a copy of may and it took him forever to watch it and after he watched it he really enjoyed it and everything like that and they kind of hooked up and and lucky mckee went on to work on red although i believe he was fired and all sorts and and the woman of course so um mckee and uh ketchum obviously started a relationship and everything like that so um that, that was very interesting to hear about but anyways i think the lost is super effective i think that a lot of the um female actors actresses in here are really good too and I like the characters and you've seen how Ray manipulates everyone and just such a piece of shit but so good at it too um yeah just a very great very good movie I've always liked this one quite a bit so that's the lost Do you have a cigarette? We had a murder a few years back. Two girls, campers. You know what we ought to do? We ought to pop them. What? Ray wasn't our main suspect. He was our only suspect. <gasps> my son Ray. He's my assistant manager. Bates Motel. Hello, Mr. Pie. Listen, the best way you can handle Ray Pie hey, is to stay the hell away from him. Maybe he came on to one of those girls back then and she said thanks, but no thanks. Get your stuff and go home. Fuck out That's why they're both of them dead. What is he gonna do? Murder me in the laundry room in broad daylight? Being Jennifer, I want you both to meet Catherine. I'm a good girl. Some of these women are animals. You wanna play a little game? What kind of game? I ask you a question. You have to answer it completely and truthfully, no bullshit. What's the worst thing you've ever done? I like you and had a good time together. I just don't think we should keep on seeing each other. You want to be able to like, fuck other guys? Is that like all the fuck you're saying? Fuck! What worries me is what does a guy like that do when he finds out that he's been betrayed? I fucking had it with every one of you. Just so crazy. Ah! Oh! Boo. You staying there, you hear? Fuck, you guys don't know each other, do you? Hello. Sally, Jennifer. Jennifer, Sally. I get in the car, Jen, before I kill your fucking ass in front of the neighbors. I'm having a great time.
Okay, uh, now we're going to hop into the summer series, the podcast Under the Stairs, years 2002. Um, you guys are wondering what this is. Go back to the last show or the show before that when I did 2001. But uh, the first one that was picked for 2002 is Gore Zabinski's The Ring. And I had seen the original Ring, and it's surprisingly a little bit ago for the first time. You know, because I said Japanese ghost stories when they came out weren't really my strong point. I wasn't really interested in them, and I kind of was sleeping on a lot of them. And I finally did watch The Ring. And I thought it was really freaking good. But uh, this remake, you know, I, I was always kind of like, oh, American remake, a Japanese movie back then. I'm even less interested. But um, this director went on to do like a cure for wellness. And you can tell these movies share a lot of visual style. They have like and normally I would hate this, um, but they have like a blue tint to them. But the blue tint's kind of uh, directly correlated with the rainy look of both those movies and the watery look of both movies. And I feel like all Japanese ghost stories and some of the remakes, I guess, too have a lot of rain in them. Uh, obviously Dark Water this year and um, I feel like One Miss Call there's a lot of rain just all these movies are just saturated in, in dampness and gloominess and everything like that and uh, like I said um, I think Pulse has a uh, has a really unique look that they just didn't drain it of color they just lit it really well this one I think does drain it a little bit of, col of color but the cinematography is really fantastic um, and, and I will admit that um, I do really like the original Ring, um, but I think this one is just as good, and I, I really wasn't expecting to. And it does probably help that Naomi Watts stars in this. And seeing like Naomi Watts' early career from like Mulholland Drive the year before and how good she was in that, and then coming into this movie and doing a really good job, and then she I think she was even in Down, the remake of The um, the Lift, um, a couple of years before uh, Mulholland Falls. It's like uh, Drive, I mean. It's just kind of amazing to see what she where she started and everything and kind of the movies she chose. But I think she's really solid as, as the lead character in this. If you guys don't know the story of The Ring, essentially it's uh, about a reporter whose niece dies in, in a strange way. And she starts to dig into the what happened uh, at, because her, her sister asked her to. She starts to look into it and it leads her to this videotape. And all the people that watched the videotape died seven days later and everything. And she starts to dive into it and realizes it ties into this little girl, Samara, who was possibly mistreated and had some sort of powers and everything. It leads her back to this island and everything i don't want to spoil everything about it but it's definitely a good detective kind of mystery finding out what the hell is going on the actual tape on here it's a little bit different i think than the original ring uh tape but um it's really kind of effective and scary as hell when um naomi watts watches it and when she shows her ex-boyfriend the tape too who's in the video and film and everything like that he says you know it's kind of art filmy and it's funny because it is art filmy but at the same time it, it's like art film class shit but it's also scary as hell when you take it and put it in the context of the movie but um there's also i don't remember if this was in the original point too that in the remake like everything that's in the tape they see will see in the seven days before they die so basically it's, it's a race um you know before you know race beat the clock before they die and everything and they got to figure it out but uh it, it is a long film but um it, it, i liked it a lot i thought it was really well done um minimal cgi too and i really like the camera work I, I think that the big wide shots are beautiful i think that the transitions you know they'll cut the like a, a tree and shit and there's a wide shot it just looks good man i don't know what it is but i think this one dated pretty well and um i didn't think it was i wasn't really sure how it would be but it's, it's just much better than expected because i was like i'll like the original better but i liked them about the same and uh i, I was impressed with it
to be honest. Um, I thought the acting was top-notch. Uh, Brian Cox is in here, which is always a plus. And um, I do enjoy uh, Samara in the original better. I think she's a little bit more effective, um, the little girl. But besides that, I think that they're up to snuff at the same level. I do think this one's easier to follow. And I don't know if that's, a, um, you know, kind of a, a not, I wouldn't say a language barrier, but the change in cultures and everything. I think that the remake is a little easier to follow. Um, but uh, I really like it. I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was um, really well done. And I like that they opened that kind of... Um, the, they do have some little meaning in here too, maybe a message that says like, what's up with the media wanting to take someone's tragedy and make it the world's tragedy? And I was just like, that's kind of really deep in a, in a way. But also it, it, it directly uh, ties into what Samara wants to do. So I like that. So um, the Ring remake, re really solid stuff, really good. Um, I watched it on Amazon Prime. It's on there right now in HD. So I don't think there is a United States Blu-ray, but uh, I'll buy one when it comes out for sure. Okay, the next one from the 2002 Summer Series is Lucky McKee's May. And, uh, yeah, I saw May originally when it came out, and I didn't remember much about it. I remember having good feelings. So, you know, I remember liking it. That's about it. This stars Angela Bettis and uh, Anna Ferris, uh, Jeremy Sisto, um, geez, James Duvall, who else is in here, and uh, Borat's assistant. <laughs> from you know Borat movie but okay so I, I put this one in and it opens up with this like very just tragedy of a little girl she has like this cross eye and like right away you get some psychology on her her mother just telling her that uh, you have to be perfect and she has her put this eye patch on and she has no friends so she makes these dolls and that directly ties into May and screws her up for life that's pretty much the setup and everything like that. So May's directly screwed up for life um, from, from her mother's thing. So she still has like this doll who's her first friend that she made on this kind of pale thing she keeps in a case and everything like that. Um, and this this movie has a lot of dark comedy. Um, there's a lot of these dark comedy beats where at points you feel horribly sorry for May, but then you kind of laugh at what she does. But then by the end of the movie, you're 100% thoroughly um, repulsed by her actions. So uh, essentially, this maybe this is comparable to like a female maniac. 
that makes any sense to anybody because it feels like you know uh, Joe Spinell in that movie is like having this love life and relationship with somebody but he can't stop from going crazy but his, this is more about you know what somebody would do after they lose a loved one but her just complete misunderstanding of anything that a human would have but anyway she's infatuated with certain body parts of people and she kind of comes to the conclusion that there's no good holes there's only good parts and that kind of sets her kind of you know her mo in what she does so may kind of like at one point has a breaking point um where she loses the person that she just started a relationship with in jeremy sisto and she starts to take body parts from other people um you know and, and everything like that but anna ferris is in here as like a, a lesbian co-worker that starts a relationship with may and she's absolutely hilarious in here she's really ditzy and just goofy and, and funny and uh james duvall has a really weird role in here but uh i i really like this one i think it's really good i think there's these moments of like super dark comedy that are twisted and everything she starts to like volunteer her time at like this blind place uh, that for blind kids and help them out and everything and at one point like this glass case breaks with her doll in it and she completely loses her mind she's trying to pull it away and all the kids are trying to get the doll and all the glasses everywhere and everybody's crawling on it and everything uh, but there's just like in the very beginning she gets a contact to fix her lazy eye and then later on in the movie, she has to take it out because she has no, she doesn't understand she has to clean her contacts or anything. They get infected and she takes them out and everything. It's just like kind of she reverts back and it's just like another breaking point into her snapping. But um, they also kind of film the deaths uniquely. Like they'll have her go kind of like, you know, she killed them and they don't show anything. And you're like, what? And then they'll cut back seconds later where they'll show like a flashback of her doing the deed and everything. So I thought that was effective. And uh, there's some visual good things in here. You know, the blood going in the white milk and everything. I feel like I've seen that numerous times. I feel like they do it in the Stenhill syndrome, a lot of red on white in that movie. But um, I think May's effective. I think it's got a great performance from the lead in here. And the ending is a mind fuck. And I love it. I love the ending. The ending makes up for a lot of things. I think it's just like, yeah, this is just crazy and insane, and I, I just like it. I, I like how they do it at the ending and leave it a little bit open because there's definitely some weird things going on. Like, is May possibly like a Carrie-like character because like the glass always is kind of cracking, or is there something else going on—an outside force or something? But um, you know, May definitely you know, something maybe supernatural about her. But uh, re really good one. I watched this in HD. I just bought it in HD on Amazon because I didn't want to watch the DVD. It was like ten bucks or eight bucks or something like that. So yeah. You know how when you meet someone and you think you like them, but then the more you talk to them, you see parts you don't like? Everyone always thought May was different. Jesus, what are you doing? Relaxing. Doesn't it hurt? Ow! You crazy bitch! But really, she was just misunderstood. I need a real friend. Someone I can hold. Don't be mad. Then, one day, May met Adam. Hello? The boy I saw today is different. So what do you do, May? I work at the animal hospital. When I left for vacation, my dog had four legs. You can't sew it back on, can you? I could. Some people think it's kind of gross. I love gross. Really? And she thought he liked her just the way she was. Oh, you're bleeding. I know. Hey, this is weird. You like weird. Not that weird. But May's new friend turned out to be just like everyone else. I'm sorry things didn't work out between us. It just didn't feel right. So many pretty parts, no pretty holes. So May decided to make a friend of her own. I need more parts. 
You have a beautiful neck. I love your tattoos. Can I get a few more measurements? I love your hands. You have really beautiful legs. You're gonna look perfect. Okay, the next one is Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers, which I have not seen, the 2002 one, uh, in a long time. So I, I popped in the Screen Factory Blu-ray, which I had, and I know everybody's like, man, this looks horrible. I know the elements were lost, but I got to say, this looks like shit. This looks horrible. Um, and I know like they didn't really have the master to remaster it and everything like that, but it's an awful looking movie. Um, I, not movie, but it's an awful looking release. I'm sorry. Um, it has a bunch of features on there, which are nice, but, uh, interviews with everybody involved. So, but it looks terrible. So this is essentially kind of a siege night of living dead style movie with soldiers. Um, a bunch of soldiers doing a training exercise in the, the wooded location run into, um, the special force guy who claims something crazy attacked them. And of course, we all know it's werewolves, so dog soldiers, and and we just know the movie and, and the plot and everything to cover. So essentially, um, he's been all messed up. They decide to hide out. This lady uh, kind of finds him. They decide to hide out in her kind of log cabin. They have no communications to the outside world. Some of them are hurt and killed and everything, and they must defend this cabin and save their lives and uh, from the werewolves outside. The werewolves look freaking awesome. They're standing werewolves, kind of like the howling, and they're big and hunched over. Really, really great werewolf designs. Um, the movie's kind of shot crazy. It's really sporadic and edited and almost like kind of a frantic military state at times with people talking. And, and the opening of the movie took me a long time to get used to it because when it's cutting so fast and handheld, it feels it's really kind of erratic and erratic I should say erratic and it just kind of really is hard on the eyes I didn't love the way it was edited and cut together in the beginning um, it's just kind of hard to know where you're at all the time and that might be on purpose but it's also hard to know any of the characters until later on but uh, they also use a lot of I believe that is kind of a realistic dialogue between the soldiers and how they use terms and everything like that and uh, they also seem to be bonded and they also seem to know each other and they work well together and they actually have a genuine like for each other and everything um, the character Spoonie and Joe and Joe are both really great characters I can't think of the guy's name he's basically he's in um I think he's in Soldier with a Kurt Russell and he's also in Event Horizon he plays like the sergeant I always like that guy in every movie he pops up in he's really good in this one as well but uh, yeah, so essentially it's just a siege movie and the werewolves are attacking. They had kind of some other storylines in here about, you know, uh, possibly certain people being connected in certain ways, which uh, are okay. I don't think they're horrible. The special effects are really good. Like I said, the werewolves look great. The gore is, is solid. There's bloody things. There's lots of guts falling out. But the movie's also comical. There's lots of funny lines in here. Um, the character Joe always complaining about not watching the football. And it's a a tremendous scene. I know my friend who used to box. He was he, he used to train boxing and everything. He loved the scene in this movie where um, Spoonie actually squares up with the werewolf and he starts he starts boxing him, boxing him up and shit. And it's like you know this. He was like this is legit. I think like how he did it. And that actor actually knew boxing from the commentary and everything. So um, that's a really great scene, a really awesome scene. Uh, so uh, you know this is a pretty good movie. This is really fun. This is really entertaining. We don't really get that many werewolf movies, and we don't get that 
many uh, movies where like there's military characters that are actually kind of really established. Um, and if you listen to the commentary and everything and all the actors talk about the movie and Neil Marshall talk about the movie, Neil Marshall loves movies and he just doesn't love horror movies. He, he mentions stuff like, you know, the wild bunch. And I believe he mentions like the great escape and just lots of classic war movies that are just, you know, tough guy kind of man's man's character movies and everything. But you know, there, there's like some tenderness to his characters and everything and some friendship and, and a bond between them. So I think that he does pretty well with this one. Um, and I think it's a really good entertaining movie. And he would go on to do The Descent a few years later, which, as far as I remember, is a freaking masterpiece. And I, I feel like he, he went so much further with The Descent than this one. But I do think Dog Soldiers is an effective, gory, kind of fun siege movie that um, is worth checking out for sure. It's a good one. And uh, it was fun revisiting, except I wish that the Blu-ray looked better. I think that maybe I was a little harder on the movie than I should have because it looks so bad in the remasters. It's very unfortunate that um, it, the elements are kind of lost. One of the most explosive, brutal, and purely enjoyable horror debuts since The Evil Dead. Genuinely frightening. Jaws, Aliens, and Predator with a werewolf twist. Absolutely brilliant. Thrilling. Exciting. Scary. I don't scare that easy. And funny. I'm sold. A horror film with bite. You are. Sold! I'm in the closet! A bitch of a werewolf movie. Wait Dog Soldiers. It'll blow your house down. Okay, the next one here we have is Dark Water, which I had actually never seen. So I, so I popped this in, and uh, yeah, this one it follows the story of uh, um, kind of a... She's a single mother, not, and she has like, you know... Um, is it a daughter or a son? <laughs> I think it's a daughter. So, um, geez, I can't believe I can't remember if it's a daughter or a son. But she's kind of going through a custody battle, and she obviously has some problems, some, some past problems that are brought up and everything like that. So she moves into this big kind of apartment complex... Uh, that's kind of all mostly abandoned and uh there's just water leaking everywhere here and it just right away sets the tone you know the title dark water and like all the other japanese ghost stories it's rainy it's gloomy it looks just like them so um this one i actually really enjoyed mostly because the ending is so crazy and impactful and it has like a complete 180 where the movie actually stops and you're like it's over and then like it, it does like a fast forward and you're like Oh, wow, I can't believe you. It came back just to hit me in the stomach that freaking hard. And they really do. And, and that's probably the strongest part of the movie, but it makes it so much different. And I shouldn't just jump to the ending, but that's the thing that most impacted me most about this movie, to be honest. But uh, essentially, you know, they're, they're, uh, the water's leaking from the ceiling, and she's starting to lose her grip on her, her job, her sanity, and possibly lose the custody of her kid. Um, another person, a lawyer, kind of comes in and starts to help her out with everything and, and like that. But, um, of course, there is a ghost in this um, this apartment, and uh, there is there's a reason there's water, and there's a reason it's it's directly tied in with water, and uh, it's definitely affecting kind of coming after the child and her at the same time. And I really don't want to spoil the ending here, but um, like I said, the last the last act is tremendous, and, and it makes up. You know, I don't want to say the first two acts are, are bad or boring or anything. They're they're set up, but the third act it really pays it off. Um, there, there's some solid creepy moments in here, but again, it's kind of a mystery where you're just got, trying to find out what 
happened to this character, this ghost, why, why this ghost is here, you know, like it kind of like the devil's backbone, but like Japanese ghost stories, um, like, the ring or or even one miscall the ghost um although they seem like they want you to figure out the mystery your life is still in danger it's not like a hey i'm a good friendly ghost the ghosts are very hazardous and dangerous at the same time and even the ring i don't think samara is really a good person or really trying to help you out at all even if you discover the the obvious um that what happened you know even after they find her in the well. But um, but this stuff, you know, it's kind of, again, like, they're different in their ghost stories. There's definitely a mystery to it, but even if you solve the mystery, you still might be fucked. Um, like I said, I, the ending in this one's really great. I like how this one looks. Um, nice location. The apartment's kind of creepy, and, and the elevator. They do lots of stuff with it. But like I said, I don't have much to say about this one, but I do think it's very effective and well-made and a good one. Um, I'm not the strongest of 2002, but... I mean, I would listen to an argument about it being one of the strongest for sure, too. So, uh, Dark Water. Um, on the disc, there's some features, of course. I, I didn't get a chance to check them out. Um, I'll, I'll take a look for you guys. There's uh, um, uh, Ghost, Rings, and Water, a brand-new interview with director Haidito Naka, um, Nakata. Family Terrors, a brand-new interview with author Koji uh, Suzuki. Uh, Visualizing Horror, brand-new interview with cinematographer. Um, I'm not even going to try with that one. And archival interviews with actresses um, and the theme song artist um, Shuga, and the original making of documentaries. So yeah, it's got some nice releases, on, uh, nice features on there, and I didn't get a chance to check them out, although I should have. I thought it looked pretty good and sounded good, um, but yeah, that is Dark Water. うちの部屋の天井から水が漏れてるんですか。ママは母親がこの子を置いて急に家を出て行くことじゃありませんか。2年前に女の子が行方不明になった事件、可愛い息子ちゃん。And the last from 2002 this time around, I actually watched it on uh, Amazon in 4K, that's right, is Resident Evil by, uh, is it Paul Anderson? Paul W.S. Anderson, I want to make sure I get that right. The director of Event Horizon and Mortal Kombat, which I think are both better movies than Resident Evil. Um, see, I'm kind of shocked that this one was picked for 2002. Um, so I remember seeing this one in theaters and uh, the story behind it with George Romero originally hired to write the script and I actually read that script and it was just basically Resident Evil with all the characters like Barry and Jill and Chris and everything like that and it was just a run through a big mansion and then fighting a bunch of creatures and everything and I was like oh that's fine enough needed more zombies but it had everything kind of from the movie of kind of from the video game so why not um, this one it's just it came out after the Matrix and uh, any movie that kind of came out after The Matrix that has any action is just like has that stink about it. Um, and uh, we, we basically, the plot here is um, Umbrella Corporation is doing secret experiments in an underground facility that they call The Hive. Well, 
I think it is called the hive. Yes. And there's kind of mansion above it. That is kind of a secret, like uh, location entry point. So essentially something goes wrong in the hive, a terrorist attack, somebody breaks the T virus and a whole lab gets shut down. Similar to warning sign from 85 and everybody's trapped in there. Of course, they're all turned to zombies and they send in a special team to go in and figure it out. Everybody that's kind of in the vicinity has lost their memory. There is uh, somebody passed out on the subway train that gets them down to the area. There's um, of course, uh, you know, um, Mia Jolovich, who's been passed out and she doesn't know, and um, a police officer. And all of them have lost their memory because that's what the drug does. So the SWAT team of seven guys uh, ends up taking them all down with them instead of leaving them up there, you know, and just handcuffing them for later. They take them down into the hive to try to figure out what has happened. Basically, their job is to shut down the hive, to shut down the security systems, and figure out and try to rescue anyone that's down there. Um, so uh, the things that bother me about this movie is it has no balls. Like, I feel like it doesn't have any guts. I'm sorry. Like the movie starts, it's a zombie movie. There's no real flesh eating. There's people getting bit. Nobody gets ripped to shreds. Um, CGI is dated pretty poorly, pretty shitty, um, to be honest. Some of the practical stuff works pretty well. Um, the characters are pretty dumb. They don't really think very, very well. They just do dumb shit. Um, like, I don't, I don't care. I know we don't live in a Romero world when we're in this world, whatever. Um, but you shoot a guy 30 fucking times in the chest and he doesn't die. Try shooting him in the head just once. Why not? Why the hell not? But um, it's just, they're dumber than the guys in Hell of the Living Dead. But you have, like I said, 10 characters and they decide to kill four with lasers. This is a zombie horror monster movie. You kill four of your characters with lasers. Why? Why, why waste so many people like that? And that is kind of a cool uh, moment, to be honest. But to me, the best character dies in the, in the moment right there. And after that, we're kind of stuck with Bland. I mean, Mia Jolovich is good and, and I enjoy her. But besides that, it's just Bland City. Michelle Rodriguez is in here being super tough and she's kind of entertaining. She's like the human version of Raphael, basically. So, um... I don't know. This one just kind of bores me. And it's just kind of, uh, it just doesn't work for me. I just, like I said, people get pulled into elevators and they're supposedly ripped to pieces by zombies, but yet they come back fully intact as a zombie. It's like, you said they're eating people. If you pull a guy into an elevator with like, I don't know why I'm being so nitpicky about this movie, probably just because I don't like its style in the first place, but you pull a guy into an elevator and he gets ripped apart by 50 zombies, there's not going to be much of him left, right? But no, he's fully intact. You just throw some blood on his mouth and he's he's a zombie now, but no, zombies just don't eat you for some reason. They, they're supposed to eat you, but they don't eat you. And that could probably be a complaint about 95% of zombie movies, to be honest. You never see anybody walking around with just like barely a head because they they would have been devoured. But still, uh, when you're alive and you get pulled into an elevator, and it's just like, it also cuts away. A lot of cutaways, a lot of cutaway deaths in here. Uh, just like I said, um, and, and the main monster is, um, what is the thing, a liquor or liker or whatever the hell they are, the things that crawl on the walls, which I don't really have a problem with, but... I don't know. It's just the characters are boring and bland and half of them look identical with the same jar, uh, same fade haircut and gelled hair. Just um, like I said, my favorite character was um, the guy, what, uh, Colin S. I don't remember his name. He's in um, Alien vs. Predator as well and he gets cubed too in that one. He dies the same way. He's also in uh, Punisher Warzone where he actually is really fun in it and um, I enjoy him in that movie. But uh, man, this one's just such a such a boring movie to me. Like, and there's some fighting and, and some stuff like that, but it's just so dumb. Like, people just do dumb things and it, it's annoying and it's just like you had the game. All you had to do was take one. It's one of the greatest horror games of all time. All you had to do is it's right there. It's right there. Just take it and make that. 
And then, like I said, they have like moments that like shout out George Romero, but knowing he got fired from the movie, it's just like eh, it just seems tacky as hell. Like especially the end with the newspaper that flies up that says the dead walk. It's like man, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you fired this guy, and then you have the nerve to be like throw a shout out to him in there. It's just like okay, maybe he didn't get fired. Maybe they just hired him to write a treatment or whatever. But still, I don't know. I just maybe I'm just hating on the movie a little bit unfairly because George Romero didn't make it. That might be it, but still, I don't think it's very good either. I, I think it's um, objectively the worst one from 2002 that was picked. And um, I would never, ever pick that one as an adjudicator for the show. But uh, yeah, uh, that's the, the 2002 movies. So. Thank you. Deep underground. In a top secret research lab. Security has been breached. A deadly virus capable of contaminating the entire world has been released by Umbrella Corporation. Oh my god. We have to get out of this building. It was a... It's the brakes! It's okay, we're here to help. Now, an elite team has been sent in to stop it. Five hours ago, Red Queen went homicidal. Who's the Red Queen? State-of-the-art artificial intelligence. The corporation's keeping a few secrets down here. Something you're not supposed to see. But they have only three hours left before it begins infecting and mutating the whole human race. Everyone stay calm. What's that? Beat me, man. She took a chunk clean right out of me. You have to get out. Don't listen to anything she says. She's a holographic representation of the Red Queen. She may be our only way out of here. How is she still standing? She isn't standing now. No one is immune. Resident Evil. You're all going to die down here. Okay, we're going to have one run through 91, and this is Campfire Tales, um, obviously from 1991, not to be confused with the 1997 Campfire Tales. Uh, yeah, this stars Gunnar Hansen and nobody else I know. But uh, essentially, this kind of like a Willy's kind of story in, in a way. We have these three kids out there hanging out at uh, you know this campfire, reading uh, Fangoria, one with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre on it, but it's from part two, which is kind of weird. So, uh, yeah, so they're reading all these kind of magazines, Eerie and Fangoria, and Gunnar Hansen shows up, and he's just like crazy bum, and they're like, he's like, I just want to warm my hands by the fire, boys, and they're like, okay, uh, whatever, and he's like, since you're letting me sit by the fire, I'm going to tell you these stories. So he tells all these stories. One is kind of a take on the, you know, the making out hook on the hand thing, but instead of the killer being outside, they go home and their parents have been slaughtered. Um, some, uh, and then the next one is about some potheads that, um, go pick up this bad weed and they get hooked on it and it kind of makes them rot and turn gross and everything like that. Some good, fun, gooey effects. Um, the next one, geez, is a Christmas story, which is, uh, 
hilarious. Uh, <laughs> you know, kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, somebody being a piece of shit on Christmas and doing horrible acts and then they get their comeuppance by like the anti-Santa Claus, maybe a Krampus type character, if you will. And then uh, the fourth one is a weird, crazy pirate story. The acting is pretty terrible. Like, I think the best acted one is the campfire one. Probably because Gunnar Hansen and the kids are okay. No complaints about the kids. But there's these moments where, like, the acting is so poor, especially in the Christmas one and the pirate one. And, like, I wouldn't say by the main guy in the pirate one, but there's this scene in the pirate one where this character basically um, does an information dump for, like, five, ten minutes. And I was just like this. I was watching it, and I literally didn't pick up anything he said just because I was just, I was like, I, didn't, I just couldn't pay attention. Like, it was bad. It was just badly acted and just poor and boring and just this fucking it was high school musical like style acting theater actor he was like yeah and it's just like oh screw this i don't know what the hell's going on but essentially in that one a bunch of a bunch of pirates come back to life and he fights them off with swords and it, it does feel a little bit like fulci like and i kind of enjoyed parts of that one too um really this one it, it does have some fun moments it's cheap it's not very good it's very poorly acted but um, there's nice gooey gore effects. There's really stupid, goofy moments. And I, I kind of enjoyed it, although it was bad, if that makes any sense. It doesn't look very good. Um, you know, I don't have the DVD. I watched it online. The DVD's been out of print for years. I would probably buy one if it was released. But uh, yeah, I, I watched this online and it, it didn't look very good. I, like I said, I imagine it's not been remastered very well in the first place. These guys went on to do another anthology, I think, called Freak Show, with also with Gunnar Hansen. And there's two Freak Show anthologies. I've seen the other one, but I've never seen that one that, in the late 90s with Gunnar Hansen. But uh, yeah, like I, I, can't, I don't know if I can give this one a strong recommend. I, the Hook story is the worst, and then the Pirate one, because it's so long and the opening of it's terrible. But the end's a really fun payoff where he's running through and like slashing and cutting up Pirate uh, pirate zombies and everything and they do have like a fulci-esque look to them from zombie of course um you know what that might be better and then uh, of course the christmas one you know the pirate one might be the best actually the christmas one's okay uh it's kind of funny and then uh the pothead one is gooey and gory and and, and fun but although the brother and that one is just complete moron no one would ever smoke that weed after what he just witnessed but uh you know cheesy anthology you know it's a, it's what you expect it you you know, it is what it is. It's okay. I, I can't really recommend it, but I've seen much worse. How about a story, guys? Don't read one of those. I'm going to be scared. Jason, you are such a wimp. I like to be scared. Yeah, me too. Go ahead and read, Billy. So you boys like to be scared. Well, as a reward for letting me sit here by your fire, I'll tell you some scary stories. Better than what you find in that book. A good one and a bad one. It's true. Look, my friend Tommy showed me this in school. If you mix up the letters in Santa Claus, you get Satan Claus. See, 
Tommy says that if you're bad, Satan Claus comes and puts coal in your stockings. If you're real naughty, he comes and cuts you up in a little piece. This is episode, uh, what? This is Blind Spot, I forgot to say. Yeah, we're blind spotting. I can't, I can't see you, nothing. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, but uh, this is Blind Spot. This is uh, Jeremy's pick. Or is this, yeah, this is your pick. Yeah. This is Fantastic Planet. Forbidden Planet. No, it's Fantastic, Fantastic Planet. Planet. There actually is a Forbidden Planet and a Forbidden World, so keep it straight. Okay. This is Fantastic Planet. This is an animated movie from 1973. It's a French film. We watched the French version. Do you know the English version has voices with Barry Boswick in it, which I wish I would have heard now? Barry Boswick is uh, in Rocky Horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, oh. not... Janet, but uh, Fred, Fred, yeah, Fred Majors, Fred and Janet, yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay, yeah. Putting this in, this was like an hour and twenty minutes. I was like, that's perfect for an animated movie, and this is one of the most intriguing watches that I've had in a very long time. This is freaking nuts. Do you want to give the plot? Is there a plot to this? Um, I mean, there is. There is. Basically, it takes place on a planet or a world that we're not familiar with, mm-hmm. where humans are essentially tiny in comparison to another life form that is about 40 40 times the size of them if right not. yeah but, we're like gerbil size yeah and this this we're basically like wild animals and they've tried mm-hmm. to domesticate us and keep us as pets but these beings are highly intelligent and they have um huge technology and and the whole world is very just dangerous and scary weird place that um is a nightmare landscape to us watching it's an actual hellscape yeah it's, it's like horrifying every like Every time that a scene changes, it just cuts to some wild creature, like, devouring another wild creature, and you're like... And, and for no oh, reason, sometimes. Yeah. And there's, like, this weird moment where, like, this pig thing's licking, like, a newborn baby and eats it. This it kind of makes me gross, or, like, right. another creature just killing just, these just other killing things for these, no reason. It has, like, like a bunch of, like, dead, like, butterfly, rabbit thing. I don't know what they are, like, all around its cage. It's like, it, it doesn't do it. It just hits them and kills them. It doesn't eat them or anything. And it laughs about it. Yeah, you know what would be an amazing uh, double feature with this? The point, 
Because the point is like the good-natured, sweet version of it, like going on this like crazy adventure where you see all these weird things, and then you put Fantastic Planet and the point together, and it's just like show your kid the point, <laughs> and then show your kid Fantastic Planet, and then stay up all night with them. <laughs> Some nightmares. I I think that um the point probably pairs well with this, but I think a better one, if you ever seen it, is the Felix the Cat movie. What? Yeah, because. A lot of the creature design is similar to the things that they run into in the Felix the Cat okay. movie. Just these weird tentacle mole creatures and this, just different things. This movie says a lot of things in how they portray the um, the uh, big drogs or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. How they're working with the, the ohms. O-M-S is how they say it. Ohms. Yeah, yeah, humans are ohms and yeah, the ohms aliens are drogs or something. Drugs, like yeah. Ohms. So the ohm, in the very beginning, you, when you're a kid, you know how you like mess with insects. Some kids will like mess with ants or magnifying glass or just pick bugs up and move them or flick them or do whatever, mm-hmm. knock a fly away. It's these uh, drogs messing with these this little boy, this, this baby and a mother. And they're just like picking the mother mm-hmm. up and dropping her and doing all sorts of horrible things in the very beginning. And it just shows you how cruel human beings can be or higher life forms to other things for no apparent reason. And then it goes on to show you that these things are actually intelligent and how disgusting the whole thing... The whole It's just a crazy fucking thing. And it says a lot about humanity and how you treat um, things that are below you. Right, yeah. Um, but so, like... So the mother that gets killed, um, the main character that's is That's pretty much who we baby. follow through the whole movie. Yeah, and he has to live follow. with, like, the intelligent life forms. Yeah, and so the um, the daughter of one... I think her name is Tara? Or... T- something like that. Tilwa? Tilwa? T- Twyla? I can't remember. T-I-W-I or something like that? Yeah, but something anyway, like so she adopts adopts the, the human child, and, like, it's like a pet. Like, she, yeah. um... You know, she, she feeds it, plays with it. Um, the father and mother are kind of like, uh, they're, they're not, not really crazy in, about, in it. about it. But they, these things have this weird kind of like, they're very powerful and strong mm-hmm. and intelligent, but they meditate and do all sorts of other things. But that lies the secret of their weakness. And the humans uh, are pretty much helpless at first until the main character decides to run. And he had been listening in on the um, you know, the educational stuff that the daughter was and this device that they put around her. He ends up stealing that and bringing it to like a tribe or a group of them. And they all start to learn things. And eventually they learn their technology. Mm-hmm. And that's when the humans kind of stand in uprising. But there's these really crazy moments where like there's these eradications, exterminations of like the the from the things and that is horrifying and that the movie does these beautiful like i guess you'd say wide shots in a, in a cartoon I, I i don't it's technically a wide shot they'll go out really far and have these like landscape shots of the people are like this big on right. the screen and you can do that with a cartoon you know your, your scope you can make your scope huge, as big as you want which is really imaginative and cool about a cartoon right. so for nightmare stuff it, it's perfect Oh, like, yeah. So, like, that's why it's weird that cartoons have been associated directly because they're so imaginative with children's stuff, but you could really do lots of things that mess with people in I mean, a cartoon. I have always preferred animation over live yeah. action. I mean, that's just how I'm wired, I think. It's a lot of hard work. Um, so, so uh, the the main character, he, you know, he runs off and he joins a group of, like, wild ohms. Yeah. So he's, like, the domesticated one. The wild ones are like, oh, you've been with the drugs, you shouldn't be here. And it's like, I have knowledge. And 
And Essentially, what they learn is that like the or the drugs are going to exterminate the whole park where the wild owns live because they like tear up resources yeah. and they're dirty. <laughs> Which goes back to Planet of the Apes. Last right. time, went to tear up all the crops and everything like that. We're just not very well liked or well appreciated in the sci-fi world, are no, we? No, no. But, but there's this great moment where the Ohms decide to fight back and they actually like physically kill one of the drugs. And yeah. I did not see that coming. No. And the way it happens was just I was like, yes. Fuck you. <laughs> I, I, I hated them. Like, don't you hate the drugs throughout the movie? Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're just assholes. so they're, they're pretentious douchebags, mm-hmm. dude. They think they're so superior. And do you think, like, ants and everything are just saying us? Like, like, like hey, you yeah. asshole. <laughs> but uh, for some reason, ants don't have that, like, uh, ability to learn or they, anything like that. They don't have thumbs. That's the that's the apes. That's why the apes <laughs> haven't killed us yet. Because <laughs> they don't have thumbs. They don't have the mandible. They can't. They don't have that bend in it. Isn't this the mandible? Yeah, you're right. You're right. They don't have the, um, what is the bend in the thumb where you can actually bend it? Anatomy. <laughs> I don't know what you're <laughs> I'm stupid. The mandible <laughs> is your jawline, yeah. But there's a, uh, geez, it's, it's like that. I can't think of it right now. Um, don't ask me about anything else but mo- bad, weird movies, okay? Because I won't know the answer. But uh, I was very happy with this movie. I thought it was what, fantastic. What were you going to say? It had the animation of like, um... It reminded me of like some of the Monty Python stuff, where it's more illustrate, like moving illustration rather than like uh, traditional cell animation. Um, there is a, a an awesome scene where it's like mole bat like infiltrates their nest, and like it's horrific because it has like yeah. this like tongue, and it's, it's like, almost like a um anteater, like an anteater, and then like the owns are trying to kill it because it's just swallowing people, you know, left and right, and then they the human beings are super adaptable in this too. Right, and what what it shows is like like their strength really is working together. Yeah, um, and they're they, that they can adapt. You know, survival of the fittest tools. Um, well, that's a you know a genetic thing. Though. Yeah, but still, in that term, they're just very good at adapting and surviving, and they're like a lot of ways like rats. Right. We're kind of like rats. And then essentially, what happens is like like they try to build a rocket ship to lead the planet I, to go to it. Should we spoil any more of it? Or do I you think mean, this, these, these like you know, black I, spots we kind of talk more in general because most people have seen them that wanted to? Yeah, but I don't know if anybody's seen this one, so maybe we should I do, hold it. It's off. Criterion, so I'm sure many people have seen it. Have you seen it? Who's you? Like the, the audience in general watching. I don't know. I don't know. Why would you ask? There's multiple people. Maybe they'll write a message if they've seen it or not. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't read. We already got a question of the week. We don't need another one. Okay, yeah. Um, so we we won't we won't go into how this one gets resolved because it is really good. Um, but it also shows that we must eventually live together or sort some sort of you know duplicity together. I guess not duplicity, but um, sort of domesticated thing together. I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty great. <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> They got they, they come to a terms of agreement at the oh, end of the movie. Yeah. Duality. Duality. Duplicity. Yes. Duplicity. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. They, they they do realize that, you know, they are better if their societies are equal but also kind of separate. Um well they, they never really show exactly what happens, but you know, the drugs kind of have been like, oh crap. Because yeah. they are a huge disadvantage again. Oh, and it has that same thing with the Planet of the Apes. Like, maybe the humans are intelligent and we're just not understanding their intelligence. But Planet of the Apes also tells you that humans are very violent and probably should have been wrecking. We're better off without them at the end. But the apes are also stupid because they didn't believe it. I mean, yeah, but then also when you look at this one, it's like, how did they, you know, come to accept the humans? Oh, they were violent as hell. (laughs) 
it's crazy to think that yeah. you know, sometimes. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm going to read from this book right here, Creature Features. It's not in the Tarot Tape. It's less. It's more sci-fi than horror. Mm -hmm. Fantastic Planet, 1973, 4 out of 5. Imagine a world in which humanoids are only inches high and treated like frivolous pets or domestics. Such a, a world is uh, Yagam, where the masters are the 40-foot-tall drogs and we earth beings are ums. Winner of the Grand Prix, Grand Prix I always want to say Grand Prix, even though it's Grand Prix at Cannes, this French animated film is the work of artist Roland Topar and director Rene Laroe. The parable aspects are fascinating for they tap into the roots of human existence. Also impressive are the organic drawing styles and oddball flora and fauna of the planet. The plot involves occasional exterminations of the ohms and the outlaw ba outlaws band bands attempt to escape the to fantastic planet the satellite world where the drugs go to meditate a fascinating sci-fi fable voices for the u.s version marvin miller barry boswick jane walto aka the savage planet and uh you know what i'm not far off from that they gave it what an eight out of ten or something four out of five i'm gonna go nine out of ten i think it's pretty damn perfect for I, first time watch i go uh three and a half out of five really yeah yeah i think i would you didn't like it that much I liked it. I just didn't love it. I loved it. You could tell I, like, I, I was infatuated with it. You know, a lot of times I watch a lot of movies that are hard to watch or weird mm -hmm. or just not the most engaging for me or easy to get into. They're, they're movies that you got to put a lot for. This one, I was just immediately sucked into it. Like, I was just like... Maybe I would give it a four out of five. Yeah, it's fucking That's great. Probably, it's fucking fantastic. You know, when, when I compare it to like... Um, to like Planet of the Apes. Yeah, but you gave Planet of the Apes a 10 out of 10. I know, I gave it a 5 out of 5. When <laughs> If you did make it go to a 10 point scale, would you make it 9.5 or 10? Planet of the Apes? Yeah. And 11. Um, but so, yeah, maybe, maybe it should be a 4. Because uh, it was want. good. Like, I don't think that you're going to find anything else quite, quite like, like this. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, before I forget, next week I had to make a switch because they're covering a show on 22 Shots, which I'm going to be on, and I don't want to double watch. I want it the first time to watch for this, so it's going to be Qui-Don, um, which I was way in advance in the out, a blind spot for me, but I'm switching my last broadcast. So if you're following the letterbox little thing, it's going to be mixed up. So I'll be doing Qui-Don. Is it Qui-Don? I think it's something like the Japanese uh, anthology movie instead of uh, the last broadcast. I'll be pushing that one back. So, uh, yeah, that's next week. Next week? Yep. Is quite. Is that the vampire? Uh, no, that's you're thinking of the, um, the Thirst, which the is thirst. one we're doing too. This one is a, a very famous movie. Criterion put it out. So we'll have two Criterions back-to-back. -back. Oh, okay. So, um, What's my next pick, Dina? Nope. We'll have to see next week. I think that my picks are the better picks. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know yet. Maybe. Maybe. Well, we'll see. Planet of the Apes is technically my Dude, pick, just so you guys know. No. Yeah, Planet of the Apes like, is my pick. Because I was like, put Planet of the Apes on your list if you've never seen it, because that's a good one. No. Like, no, no. I don't watch Slaughter Vomitha. I never said that I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could never watch those again. Like, back in the day, I watched them. I had a different, like, I was like approaching them a certain way. And then, like, the more I thought about it, the more I heard about it, I was just like, no, never again. Never, ever, ever, ever again. But, um, what are the, um, so we had the first one, we had the comparison. What was the first movies? Carrie vs. Magic, you won Carrie, that. Yeah. And then what was the next one? I don't remember. It was um, Dr. X and... Eyes Without a Face. Eyes I won that one. Eyes Without a Face, one. technically. And then was this the third one would have been... After what was Eyes Without a Face? It Planet was the... The, the Davy Earth Stood Still. And Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes is my pick. I Planet won that one. 
Yeah, and then this one was uh, Fantastic Planet's going to be versus Kaidan, right? I guess so. Yeah, so we'll see. I, I have a feeling that I think, I don't know, that's going to be close. I'm, I'm, I got, I'm beating you two to one right now. No, Planet of the Apes is technically my and it's pick. It's not your pick. Planet of the Apes is... And Planet of the Apes should be paired, I think, with Logan's run. Doesn't matter. Guess what? I won. You don't win Two versus anything. one. No. My picks were better. You pick Magic. That's technically like <laughs> no. two losses. No, it's not. Magic's a good movie. You had Carrie. Come on. Two versus one. All right. So I'm in the lead right now. All right. See you guys. Bye. Francois proclaims... A French planet shines in the sky of the Cannes Festival. Leo Rope says the film cast a spell on us from the first image to the last. Le Monde, humor. Fantasy, poetry. An exciting film. Strange, frightening, fascinating. Marvelous, poetic. The imagination runs wild. <laughs> A great success at Khan. The beautiful story we've long awaited. fantastic animated French film. An event and a complete success. A French masterpiece. Fantastic Planet. Winner of the Special Grand Prix Cannes Film Festival. Special Jury Prize, Trieste Film Festival. Gold Medal Atlanta. First Prize, Tehran. The World Press acclaims Fantastic Planet. All right, let's get into these questions. Tim Hayes, did you get a suntan? You're starting to look tan again. I noticed when you wear the striped tank top during your hammer reviews, you don't have the tan complexion. It is summer. I, I I go I run outside so I, I get tan. I just naturally get tan in the summer, probably because I'm from Point Place and everybody in Point Place looks like a hot dog. Um, okay, so we have Adam Watson. Wow, man, you must have some major storage somewhere. Is all I can say. You still act, or are you on a break for the time being? Um, I'm kind of on a break. I mean, if one of my friends or somebody asks me to do something, I will do it, but I don't go out and seek it. I never really seeked any jobs if it was my friend putting up something i'd say hey man i'd like to try out or if you want me let me know but um i, I will uh for friends but right now i'm not really seeking out any work so i, I mean I, I don't really do it to get paid but i'll work for friends and, and for money but <laughs> um you know i'm not really looking right now 
I do enjoy it, but you know, it's it's just a lot of other things are happening. Nick Mua, I know one-liners are considered low humor. Still, there are some I really d- dig. Like you got the body, I've got the brain. What are some of your favorites? Um, any freaking Arnold one-liners crack me up. Um, Sub Zero, now just playing Zero kills me. Running Man, just love that. Um, Total Recall, stick around. Um, so the Arnold one-liners. Um, any action one-liners actually crack me up. Even when I think Stallone, uh, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, shithead, in a cliffhanger. Um, I like one-liners in, in action movies. Now, horror movie one-liners, you know, Bruce Campbell's got lots of good ones, you know, give me some sugar, baby, all that kind of stuff. So there, there's tons of good one-liners. Um, the Thing, I, um, you gotta be fucking kidding me, you know, like stuff like that. I mean, but maybe you're thinking of like, so fuck you too when he throws this. I don't know. Any of Arnold Schwarzenegger is the one-liner king. Am I, am I wrong? about that so then we have please oh charles bronson too man i love his one-liners in the death wish 2 sequels where he's like do you believe in jesus he's like good because you're gonna meet him stuff like that just i love that um please name a film that uh at its core is good but untimely fails to deliver so much that it makes you sad mad or both for me it's the recent it chapter two it both took too long in some places and too short in others, and there are way too many boo aren't clowns creepy scenes Ooh, that's such a good question i wish i would have researched it Movies that I think are good but just didn't deliver. Um, The Void was the first time watch for me. Like I love the special effects, and it just missed a point for me where I couldn't follow something. And it's just kind of like it's like, man, this movie. I know I'll love it if there's just one more thing there. And I, I know I I like The Void. I just like I thought it was going to be the best movie of the year to be honest. But um, it missed a certain point for me. And I know if I rewatch it, I'll probably find it. So that's a little bit different of an answer, but I'll go with that one. Um, if you were cast as a creepy clown, what would you look like? Whatever they were going to want me to look like. But I probably wouldn't want to play a creepy clown, to be honest. I just, eh. Adam Watson. Did you like The Lost? Um, the movie? I just reviewed it. Yeah, love it. Um, Travis Wright. Does it bother you when a DVD or Blu-ray doesn't have subtitles? It's the worst. I hate it because, um, you know sometimes like their sound mixing and old movies won't be perfect or a company won't sound mix it very well or somebody will talk really quiet so i or you'll miss hear something uh there's a lot of things going on so i like the subtitles on all the time plus i have tinnitus or tinnitus in my left ear so uh it's always ringing it drives me nuts and uh i play the movies really loud and i always like subtitles no matter what because sometimes it's round sound you'll hear more action things like explosions over dialogue yada 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 sometimes the mixes aren't even or whatever but uh, i I love i I get annoyed when there's no subtitles to be honest and then we have some answers basically i asked you guys um what was your favorite release of the year and what companies are doing the best so far this year. Nick Mua, as I like the books of Jack Ketchum and some of their big screen adaptations, I'm picking Arrow's release of The Woman and Offspring as my favorite 2020 home video releases. Both films look and sound great and offer a Trevor Trove of extra features. So David will come as no surprise when I name Arrow Video as my favorite genre distributor for the turbulent year. They've released Clyde Barker's Nightbreed with all the features from the out of print American 3Disc Collector's Edition, the recent Chiller I See You, which I recommend, and I hope they keep it up. Let's go. Lee Jones, Hollywood 90028, if it happens this year. Jason Koch, so far the Forgotten Giallo set from Vinegar Syndrome. Sam Edwards, Severn or Vinegar Syndrome are my top for the year, although Scream Factory just killed it again this year. As far as my favorite Blu-ray release, so far the Lindsay box set coming from Severn. My favorite that I currently have in my possession, probably Strange Vice and Mrs. Ward, also from Severn. 
Um, Timothy Tahoe Collin, Hope the Deluxe Version of Soylent Green 2020. Corey Moore, Beyond the Door Arrow. Bobby Jose, Vinegar Syndrome, Severn and I Love on Earth Films. In a fave of Blu-ray release, I have to say Dolly Dearest. If the Granny would have been a surprise Blu-ray release, then the Granny would have been my favorite Blu-ray for the next five years or so. Dolly Dearest is awesome, though. Peter McCain, haven't been able to buy much, but um, the what's his name to Samato, um set from third windows is pretty decent arrow also did one i think um tom horsball night tide set from indicator is my favorite release chris leopard it's been a few but the main one is alejandro jodorowsky box set from arrow and it's finally coming out arrow has had the best releases with this um, White Fire and a few others, Criterion, Shout Select, and Vinegar all have had great films. Aside from 2020 being a dumpster fire, the home releases have been amazing. Robert D. I've loved the Cadwan set from the, I always have trouble, uh, Quidon, uh set from Eureka Masters of Cinema. They're putting some really good stuff out at the at the minute with Zoo, Zoo, Zoo Warriors, Der Golem, Mr. Vampire, and some cool spaghetti westerns. Also got the Bella Lugosi set to come. They're putting out Mr. Vampire? I'm going to have to buy that. Peter Engelin, Robert D., The Man Who Laughs. Shajin Barbarian, they have not been released yet, but I am most excited about the upcoming Untold Story released by Unearth Films and the Men Behind the Sun released by Massacre Video. But the release I enjoyed the most is a Slumber Party Massacre released by Scream Factory. It came with a poster and a NECA figure of the killer. Oh man, Massacre, uh, fucking putting Ben Behind the Sun out and Untold Story is great. Derek B, so far the Forgotten Giallo box set from Vinegar Syndrome, it will be that until Gamera comes out. David Luton, not bought any special features so far this year, but the Second Sight Special Edition Dawn of the Dead, which I pre-ordered in the autumn, sounds brilliant. Alex Powers, I would say the Second Sight Dawn of the Dead 4K box set, and I'd say Arrow has had the best releases so far. Their Gamera box set for Flash Gordon 4K and some other good ones too. Peter Englund, Nighttide Limited Edition box and Phase 4 Limited Edition by 101 Films. Peter Englund, or was Nighttide 2019? Brandon Motley, Rad Vinegar Syndrome. Travis Wright, Arrow's release of Beyond the Door might be my favorite of the year. I'm looking forward to their release of Flash Gordon and the Gamera box set. They might be my favorite label so far this year. David Gibson, it might not be the best, but I love the Scorpion transfer on Gates of Hell. It's a top-level transfer in my opinion. The film looks amazing. Old answers, and then we basically have movies that I said that came out in 2020 that were good. If I missed any, Travis Wright says Guns Akimbo was fun. IMDb listed as 2019, but I think it was widely released, and the home video release was only a month ago or so. Um, I didn't expect to like The Invisible Man, but it was really good. And then some information, basically, uh, people posted things that I think are worth sharing. Bill Clay, I watched an old film last night, Final Jeopardy, and realized it was from 1985. It's a fun movie. And he basically lists it. I've not heard of it. He says, if you're interested in watching, I don't think you'll find it anywhere else. He posts a link for it. Um, I'm not sure if it, I've never seen it or heard of it. So Thanos 43 Infinity. As with all media lately, the movie Becky was made to tick boxes and create even more division. It must be really hard for scriptwriters nowadays who just want to give escapism and entertainment instead of giving a studio mandated clipboard with tick boxes for current events. Chris Stuckman whistle blew this blatant industry ideology when he was told to add those very things to his own script. Now, I mean, I don't know if it's divisive. I mean, like, nobody likes neo-Nazis, right? <laughs> like, but um, I, I see what you mean, though. Like, it... A lot of movies will be like, well, we want to... I, I do like strong female leads in my movies, but if you're saying you think it's forced, like, they're like, that's a checkbox, put a strong female lead in there, have neo-Nazis as the bad guys, you know. Like, you're right. It just has a lot of current event things going on with it. But, like I said, the movie just seemed very mediocre to me. It wasn't horrible, but it was very by-the-numbers. So maybe that's what we're, we're kind of on the same page. It's just very by-the-numbers studio picture, which is not anything really wrong with it, but, you know, it's not anything that I'm going to revisit. 
Um, what the fuck? What the flick? That was an excellent Bill Paxton impersonation. Also, I'm going to make a drinking game. Every time Jeremy messes with his hair, I will take a drink. I don't drink alcohol or pop, so it's kind of a lame game, but I will definitely be hydrated. That's that's so we got to stay hydrated. I mean, you know, you got to stay hydrated. I have problems with my hair too. I need a haircut so bad. Actually, when I was jogging today, I shouldn't bring this story up, but I was jogging, right? And um, I come to a busy road and there's cars and I want to cross. So I got to wait for a second. So I decide to like kind of go around the corner and run down this way. But there's this guy who always stands in his driveway who's kind of like a, a crazy guy. He's always working on shit, just standing out in his driveway. And um, I, I don't really have any interactions with him because he's around my house, but he just kind of looks like a miserable asshole. So like I come to the end of his driveway and I'm not going to run through his yard, right? So I'm kind of like jogging on like on the curb. like, And he's like, you can't come in this yard with that long hair. And I'm just like, yep. Just like, what did you, how do you respond to that? Like, it's like, he's half joking, half being a douchebag. And it's like, I kind of want to punch you in the jaw right now. But at the same time, like you're, I'm probably overreacting and you're just being old guy funny. But it's just like, it's not funny. So I'm just like, yep. Just kept jogging. But, uh, yeah, it's just like, I'm not going to run through the dude's driveway, but still it's just like, dude, get over yourself. You D bag. It's like, not like many people are getting haircuts anyways right now. It's not, it's not on my priority list, but, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to hop into the update. Here we go. We got electric, uh, glide in blue, which this is a shout factory. It's going out of print. Um, not, not seen this one. Didn't know much about it. Um, good price on it. Looks like a cool kind of, uh, style 70s action movie so i figured why the hell not looks good good price on it then we have a double feature here great eagle and what is it uh winter hawk so i think ben johnson's in one of these movies it kind of interested me and they're both charles b pierce so why not <laughs> then we have a sorry about that we have a one that i hear good things about brazilian western another one that was going out of print i like my western so why not and then we have some from the target sale picked up california never seen this one i know uh brad pitt juliette lewis david duchovny it always looked like it would be interesting to me so i figured i'm gonna grab it I like these kind of movies like this, Natural Born Killers. Then we have G.I. Joe, uh, the cartoon movie. I have not seen this in a long time. Always liked this as a kid. So I figured, why the hell not? We all go home or nobody goes home. Sergeant Slaughter for the win, right? Yeah, but there's lots of lines I remember from this one. Save me bones for Davy Jones. Um, then we have uh, Midnight Run here. Only good things about this one. Um, of course, Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin. Should be pretty entertaining. Of course, I know it's it's a popular movie. Then here we have Suburbia, a uh, Penelope Spheris movie. That cover's awful. Look how stupid that is. That's awful to me. Not trying to be a jerk, but I think I had the DVD here of this a long time ago. Never got a chance to watch it. I really like her Boys Next Door movie, so check this one out as well. Then we have Saturday the 14th, another horror parody. Now, I can't remember if I've actually seen this one or not. But uh, I don't know why I buy all these horror parodies, but I always end up doing it. So, And then we have uh, This Island Earth. Um, the alien from this one is super memorable. There he is in the cover. Never seen this one, but it, the alien has always stuck out to me, and I've always, always remembered him. So, yeah. Then we have the remaster of Ninja 3, The Domination, the 4K one. There's a good price on this. Also, I think this one's going out of print, so... 
Why not? Only a ninja can kill a ninja. That's right. Um, then we have Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die. Good price on it. I never liked Darkman 3, but I have 1 and 2, and I love 1, so I was like, you know what? I'm willing to give 3 a chance. Although, I used to love 2, and I put in 2 recently, and I was like, nope, I don't think I'm going to make it through this one. Um, Invasion of the B-Girls. Um, I don't think I've ever seen this one. Looks fun. Good price on it. Another Scream Factory. Looks very fun to me. Then we have The Projected Man. Born a man, turned into a living laser beam by science's most gruesome experiment. It's like a Marvel character. Wasn't there a guy called The Living Laser? And then we have Amanda Macabro. Got Projected Man in this from a Hamilton book sale. Knight Has a Thousand Desires. Uh, Jess Franco. Good price on it. Gotta love Mondo Macabro. That lady, who's that lady? She was married to her. I can't remember her name. Uh, it's Linda Romay, of course. So then we have Junk Bonds, The Return of Junk Bucket. Also includes the original Junk Bucket. I've actually seen these movies. These are nonsense, but I remember laughing at them. <laughs> There's this really weird guy in this one. I think he's like, I'll just be the guy who got his dick chopped off and it got attached. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I, that's the same movie. It's such a goofy movie. Then we have Supercock from um, Garage House Pictures. Whoever said size doesn't count was a real dick. I've never seen this one. It's a cockfighter movie. I have seen the cockfighter with Warren Oates, but I've never seen this one. And then we have uh, some John Wayne. We have McHugh. Never seen this one. I have seen Brannigan, which I really enjoy. So hopefully McHugh is just as good. You know, uh, the Duke doing his best Dirty Harry. Then we have Batteries Not Included. I haven't seen this as a kid. This one always looks fun to me. I I'd like to rewatch this one. Then we have the original Cape Fear, which I actually already had on Blu-ray. I'm getting old. I'm starting to slip. I used to never do this. Now I'm, now I'm like rebuying movies I have on Blu-ray, which is not good. And then we have the remake of Cape Fear with Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, Jessica Lange, and um, Juliette Lewis is in this one as well. This movie's in, it's pretty good. Never seen the original Cape Fear, but I, I really like this one. De Niro's performance is great in here, man. Martin Scorsese, of course. Then we have some DVDs from Asia with Lust, from Troma, Volume 1, Double Feature, Camp, and Hitchhike. <laughs> I just read the tagline on there. So, yeah. A new Japanese rape revenge saga. I don't know how these are, but hey, whatever. They were cheap. It was the right price. Then we have From Asia with Lust, Volume 2, Double Feature. We have Lipstick and Weekend. Not to be confused with the other lipstick. So, yep. And I guess we're going to hop back to the video. Okay, before we get out of here, I want to give a Patreon shout-out to Tristan Collier. Uh, thank you very much for your support. Um, but, as always, thank you guys very much for watching. Mm.